I speak to you in the name of our one God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. In the 1970s and early 1980s, Transfiguration Lutheran Church was a vibrant, mostly Puerto Rican congregation in the South Bronx. Now, it was a sanctuary in a dark time. The neighborhood was teeming with heartache and violence, drugs and hungry children, dirty water and sewage treatment plants, corruption and asthma. The list goes on. By 1984, there were only a few older congregants who remained. And the day before their new pastor, Heidi Newmark, arrived, church members painted the doors of the church red to welcome her. Red is a welcoming color. Our doors are painted red as well. The next day, they arose to find the doors covered with graffiti. Pastor Heidi repainted the doors that same afternoon. The next morning, there was more graffiti. She painted the doors again, and again there was more graffiti, and again she painted them, and this went on day after day. One of the parishioners asked Pastor Heidi, shouldn't we build a fence around the church to protect it? And there were nods of agreement from others who were standing there. Pastor Heidi said, no, that's not what we're gonna do. What she did instead was she opened the church doors and she walked out into the street and she told the youth, she said, I am looking for artists because I am bringing in a friend who is an artist and he's going to hold a workshop and I want some of you to come along and learn how to paint with him. And they showed up. They showed up, they learned a few Bible stories and they began to paint murals on the doors. Jesus raising Lazarus, Jesus on the cross, and my personal favorite, a fire hydrant pouring water into a baptismal font. There was no more graffiti after that. Pastor Heidi, who has since moved on, speaks of this moment of painting as the beginning of the church's move from internal to external, from faith lived out inside the walls of the church to faith lived out in community, from a dying parish to a vibrant parish through these new relationships. She calls it a transfiguration. This transfiguration Lutheran church was going to live into its name from this moment on. And it's a transfiguration because the glory of God that the parishioners knew to exist inside was now pouring forth into the community in the South Bronx neighborhood. Now, some might call it a transformation or a resurrection of this community, but Pastor Heidi's onto something by calling it a transfiguration. Because when we say the word transfiguration, we're talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. And that transfiguration is about the glory of God. And the glory of God in Jesus is so powerful, and while it was visible inside the four walls of Transfiguration Lutheran Church, it couldn't be contained there once Pastor Heidi opened the doors. Today we hear Luke's version of the Transfiguration of Jesus. It is when the glory of God comes upon Jesus on the mountaintop and his appearance changes. The text is clear that Jesus looks Different. The appearance of his face changes, his clothes, the appearance of his clothes change because they become dazzling white. 
Now, the text doesn't say that Jesus himself was changed, say, from a young man into an older man, or that his face somehow ended up with spots on it, or his clothes did something different and became wool instead of linen. Rather, it is how he appeared to the disciples that had changed. Appearance is what we see, our perception of something, how we understand something. And so the disciples see Jesus' glory, God's glory in this moment, and they finally understand that Jesus is God. They see because they're seeing God's glory in him, and it's this moment of perception, this aha moment. This is the reason we read this during Epiphany, because it is the disciples' Epiphany moment about Jesus. Now, there is a second transfiguration in this story. There is the second paragraph about Jesus healing the young boy is optional, but it is so very important for our reading and our understanding of this text because it is a second transfiguration. After the transfiguration, Jesus and the disciples descend from the mountain into the valley, and immediately this desperate father comes up to Jesus and asks for help to free his son from this spirit that seizes him and causes him to convulse. And so Jesus does clean, uh, rebuke this unclean spirit, heals the boy, and gives him back to his father. And the response that Luke writes is that all were astounded at the greatness of God. And I call this a transfiguration because it's another moment when the perception of the people around Jesus changes. They understand Jesus for who he is, God, and the glory of God working in and through Jesus. So it's not just on the mountaintop where we see the glory of God. It is also in the plain where the perception changes and the glory of God is revealed in both the lofty divine space and the human life on earth on the plain. Now, it would have been nice if Peter and James and John had understood this, that the glory of God exists in both places and needs to exist in both places and be revealed in both places. It needs both kinds of transfigurations. But no, Peter only sees the mountaintop, and he wants to freeze Jesus' transfiguration in time by building a dwelling to Jesus and Elijah and Moses. But if he builds a dwelling for Jesus up there, which was probably a tent, it was his, in his mind, then Jesus might get stuck on the mountaintop. In the Jewish thinking at the time and in the tradition, Jesus and God inhabited spaces, especially the temple in Jerusalem, which is why Jews went to the temple to worship God, because God was there in that space. And it would have been similar for this dwelling on the mountaintop, Jesus would have been there as well. The glory of God would have been there, but there's also a sense then that the glory of God is not elsewhere. But we know that Jesus didn't stay on the mountaintop. The glory of God wasn't stuck on the mountaintop because Jesus descends to the valley and heals the young boy and the glory of God is revealed yet again in a new space among the people and daily life. So when God tells Peter and James and John to listen to Jesus, God is breaking through this misconception that they have about what this glory of God, this experience, this transfiguration is about. And they tell 
them to listen to Jesus. And Jesus has already told them earlier in, their, in this chapter that they will, the disciples will need to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal people, to tell people that Jesus will be raised after he's dead, and to follow him by denying themselves. But the disciples stay silent. They don't proclaim the kingdom of God. They don't tell this crazy thing that they've heard about Jesus dying and rising again. They don't deny themselves to follow Jesus. So when they descend to the plain, they stay silent. What about you? Do you proclaim Jesus? Do you deny yourself to follow Jesus? Do you offer healing in Jesus' name? A friend of mine jokes that Episcopalians sometimes seem to be in the witness protection program. And if we do that, if we are silent witnesses to God's glory in Jesus, well, it's like putting Jesus in a dwelling on the mountaintop and leaving him there. But we're not like the disciples. We don't have an excuse to be silent. We know that this crazy story about that the disciples heard is true that Jesus will be killed and will rise in glory, and the glory of God at the transfiguration is actually presaging this resurrection. We know that listening to Jesus means both glorifying him on the mountain and reaching out to others in the valley to share the good news in word and deed. And this is what Heidi, Pastor Heidi is talking about at the Church of the Transfiguration. Before she arrived at her church, the congregation wanted to build that fence and keep the glory of God inside. But the glory of God can't be kept inside. Yet the remaining parishioners in the church forgot that. They forgot that knowing God's glory in Jesus means perceiving and listening to and living into the glory of God so that both, so that they and their community would be transformed and transfigured. And so, as the congregation forgot, so did the people in the community. They forgot to come to church. They forgot to look to church for help when they needed it. Indeed, there was no chance, no opportunity for this change of perception of either the church or the community until Pastor Heidi invited those youth to paint the murals. And when she did, the glory of God was revealed again, this time through the youth of the South Bronx painting the murals on the church doors. Now all this can be true and is true here at St. Bartholomew's. The glory of God is in these walls, in our worship, our Holy Communion, in our singing, and our friendships, and in our children. But this is not enough. If we thought it was enough, we too would be just putting Jesus in a dwelling on the mountaintop and leaving him there. But we live in the valley. We live where the glory of God in Jesus means speaking and doing and loving. The glory of God in Jesus, for instance, means inviting our friends and neighbors to worship with us in this special place, telling them what St. Bartholomew's has meant to you. The glory of God in Jesus is our room in the inn volunteers and helping Afghan immigrants make this transition to Nashville and helping others who are unhoused get showers, all of that is the glory of God as well. And maybe today the glory of God is making known that Russia's invasion of the Ukraine is not okay and choosing war over peace is wrong 
and not a sign of the glory of God. Glory of God is about listening to Jesus, listening to his words of peace and mercy and justice and love, and yes, the words of glory, and not staying silent in word or deed. For Jesus' transfiguration doesn't end with this gospel passage. The glory of God can't be contained, but continues with us and through us into our world. Our transfiguration, our transformation as individuals and as a community comes when we recognize the glory of God in our midst on Sunday and when we walk out these doors and let the glory of God shine from here, from us, into the rest of our week and into the community. And our hands to speak and show and here in the plain among us all. Amen.